But it's right. day, which is daylight saving and not daylight saving. Daylight savings which is, that's time. The main no, I'm calling no, it daylight, daylight savings, savings time. It's now that I know that, that it annoys like you, I'm calling it daylight savings time. <laughs> It's Friday, November 3rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and NOS's unpaid Twitter correspondent, and with me today are Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Tram Dog Paparazzo, and Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Abel Tasman's Ship Path Admirer. I think these are our best job descriptions ever. It's certainly ever? the most obscure job yeah. descriptions we've had so far. Gordon, why do you admire Abel Tussman? Because I noticed when I was looking at my son's homework from school that Abel Tussman, when he circumnavigated Australia, did it in the shape of a giant clog, which was <laughs> centuries before GPS was invented. I think it's quite inspiring. So yeah. This is more impressive than when Boeing did yeah. this test flight yeah. with, in the shape of a plane. Yeah, right? it's just kind of like an Easter egg. I wonder yeah. if it's the first Easter egg. Someone should do some <laughs> research on this. Easter egg island. And Molly, you had a <laughs> eventful experience yesterday. Can you tell us about that? I did, but that's not part of my title. I went to a, a, a Bertkemissie meeting about construction on my street, which I, I live tweeted. I worked in both a shot at the baby day and a Johan de Witt joke, which I was very proud of. But yeah, so there's a there's a debate about reconstruction on my street, and it turns out that people get very emotionally invested in this. And people bring lots of baggage with them in the form of like diagrams and lists of stuff. and uh, Drawing yeah. apparatuses, yes. I discovered that all of my neighbors hate both trees and a lack of parking spaces and people and people in general yeah, yeah. and this uh, debate was uh, more entertaining than a debate in parliament so. it, it absolutely was yes mm. although I, i'm not sure it had as many zingers as the debate in parliament <laughs> and uh, speaking of debates in parliament you've been uh, very popular on on twitter this week paul yeah the big debate was in parliament uh, yesterday and the day before that usually that's done after prince's dog but we didn't have a government then so they postponed it so as i was watching it i also live tweeted about it and yeah, a couple of my tweets were included on the NOS website. Maybe they should uh, give you some money for your uh, hard work. For my terrible puns. We will, of course, include a link to your Twitter live blog. Oh yeah, we can we can link that in the live <laughs> Yeah, we have to so do our, that. Our listeners yeah. can enjoy my misery of two and a half hours <laughs> and terrible <laughs> coffee at a community. Oh, there was terrible coffee. They didn't even was. serve tea. No, they they did serve tea, but it was terrible tea. But it was terrible tea. Did they serve terrible coffee with miniature biscuits? No, there were no biscuits. What? No biscuits. Well, there was no biscuits. You're gonna raise that as price from one on the agenda <laughs> <Yeah>. next time. <laughs> But I think it's because, you know, the Delft government is very broke from this ongoing train station construction. And one of the places they choose to come back on are uh, crappy biscuits at the community meeting. This week, we'll bring you news on the Big Brother referendum, why the Russians are mad at the Dutch. We'll update you on politics on the other side of the ocean and tell you why a cat walked 150 kilometers to Belgium. In our discussion, we'll talk about the big debate held on Wednesday and Thursday about the coalition agreement. CDA leader Sibram Buma stirred up some controversy this weekend when he told the Volkskrant that the new cabinet planned to ignore the results of the referendum on the so-called Big Brother law. Buma said, quote, We have agreed that we are going to scrap referendums, referring to the new government's decision to remove the option for referendums. A group of students have collected over 400,000 signatures calling for a referendum on the law, which vastly expands the powers of the security services to obtain personal information. Yeah, and the signatures were accepted, so we're going to have a referendum. Even though we're not supposed to be having referendums anymore. Yeah. But first, we may have to have a referendum on that 
referendum law. Yeah, yeah. it's referendumception. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But first of all, they actually have to bring in the law to abolish the referendums, which there will then be a referendum on, which <laughs> the government will then ignore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. And uh, did Boomer's comments go down particularly well? He got uh, he got mixed reviews. Uh, Day Sassestig parliamentarian Case Verhoeven described Boomer's comments as not sensible, while Christian Uni leader Kurt Jan Sekers said he wanted to debate about the law, but that it was too important to leave the law up to a referendum. This is a bit of a confusing situation, right? Because you have the security services law, known as the Big Brother law, and th- this is supposed to go into effect, and it's sort of called the sleep vet mm-hmm. law because yeah. it refers to sort of like trawling, right? It allows the security services to collect massive amounts of information, um, so not just we think that Paul is doing some shady stuff, so we're going to tap his phone, but we know just, that Paul is doing. We some know that stuff. Paul is doing shady <laughs> stuff, but so, now the secret services can also tap your yeah. telephone and your internet traffic because we do a podcast also, together, right? Yeah. Exactly, and so as a result, there was this group of students that took this initiative to collect enough signatures for a referendum on this law, which is now scheduled to take place March 21st of next year, which is the same time that local elections are. But of course, the government does not necessarily like referendums. They pretty much ignored the Ukrainian referendum that we had a few years ago. And on the European constitution as well. Yep. And so now the debate is about whether or not we should be having referendums. And there may be a referendum on the referendum law. So Bume, you would think, wouldn't agree with people who say that you can't just ignore the voices of millions of people who vote in a referendum just because it's an advisory referendum. You would think. Yeah. Yeah, but funny enough that this is an exact quote from Buma, but then before the elections. Yeah, right. But during the Ukrainian referendum, rather after the Ukrainian referendum, when it was a no vote, Buma was one of the people who was really hammering at the government to say you have to take this referendum into account, otherwise you're damaging democracy. So new coalition, new opinions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone has a clean slate. Funny enough, on the day that the signatures were accepted, the new minister announced that the law will be postponed because they couldn't find people to sit in the committee that will oversee the uh, secret services. But it had absolutely nothing to do with the mm. referendum. Absolutely no. not. No. no way. Russia is threatening to close its airspace to Dutch passenger jets in a row over landing slots at Schiphol Airport. The airport cancelled the landing slots of Russian freight carrier Airbridge Cargo just as the company was looking to expand its operations. The Telegraph newspaper reported that the Russians were planning to ban Dutch air traffic from their skies last weekend, but has now given the Netherlands until Saturday to fix the problem. Why did they uh, cancel the landing slots at Schiphol? Yeah, Schiphol is overcrowded, I believe. They have a lack of capacity, so they are rearranging the landing slots on the runways, and for some reason they decided not to uh, allocate them to Russian airlines, but I'm not entirely sure why they did it, why they specifically did it to Russian airlines. It doesn't seem to be particularly a shot at the Russians. Just no, sort I be- of, uh... no, I believe it was a car- it had something to do with cargoes, uh, cargo mm. airlines, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, but it follows seems to follow a pattern of disputes between the two countries over air traffic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, given uh, <laughs> what happened with MH17, uh, I don't see why the Dutch planes don't just uh, fly over Russia anyway, anyway, and then pretend they didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with some badly photoshopped yeah. images that go around on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> submit a load of fake documents. That seems reasonable yeah. to me. The government of St. Martin has agreed to accept the conditions by the Dutch government for financial support of the rebuilding of the island after the devastation caused by Hurricane Irma in September. The island's Prime Minister, William Marlin, initially refused to accept the terms, such as a special Dutch-run committee that will oversee the flow of funds and extra border control. Following pressure from the private sector and three coalition partners, Prime Minister Marlin finally accepted on Tuesday, but for the island's parliament, this was too late. On Tuesday, they dismissed the Prime Minister 
minister with a motion of no confidence. New elections will be held in January. So there's now no government in St. Martin while they're trying to rebuild from this hurricane. Yeah, well, they have this Dutch-run committee that will uh, oversee uh, the government. But it's uh, reassuring to see that there are always countries that have a more fucked up political <laughs> system than here in the Netherlands. I hope they don't have to wait for seven months for a new government. Though. Yeah. Although I was listening to a radio discussion on this over the weekend and all the people in the discussion were talking about how St. Martin is terribly mismanaged and there's lots of corruption and inefficiency and they were saying that the underworld and the overworld are completely mixed in with each other and they're thinking you're basically just describing what happens in North Brabant. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that only happens in the Caribbean. Have you guys not heard of how bad colonization was? If you think that there are more immigrants in the Netherlands, driving up home prices and generally making a muck of things, you're right. At least about there being more of us. According to a report released by the CBS this week, the population of the Netherlands grew by over 80,000 in the first nine months of 2017. In total, 66,000 more people moved to the Netherlands than left, and 15,000 more babies were born than people died. According to CBS, immigration from other countries has increased, particularly people who were born in European countries and the Americas. So it's basically you and Gordon running everything? Single-handedly. Pretty much, yes. yeah. 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 <laughs> You're doing an awful job, I have we, to say. We are. And, and running, yeah, and particularly running the uh, FAFA meetings and the meetings to decide where the speed bumps should go in the streets. <laughs> but do we know why people are coming in from other European countries? I mean, uh, I suppose uh, Brexit is having an impact, possibly, on people fleeing. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Are, you, uh, are you speaking from experience, Gordon? <laughs> well, I got, I got out before it, yeah. uh, the whole thing uh, kicked off. But uh. Actually, according to the CBS, uh, the biggest increase was in uh, uh, people coming from Eastern European countries oh. so but yeah i guess that that may have something to do with it and uh north america which i think we all know why people are <laughs> <in there. laughs> why would anyone leave canada i i don't know <laughs> because they're tired of all the americans that have moved <laughs> yeah all the americans have moved north and there's a knock-on effect yeah, yeah. Amsterdam appears to have won its long-running battle with the infamous beer bikes. The city has been trying for two years to ban the pedal-powered mobile bars which were particularly popular with British stag and hen night parties. Local residents were less enamoured and handed in a 6,500 signature petition to the city council. Last year the bikes won a reprieve, however, when a court decided the council had failed to make the case for banning them. But this week, judges reversed the ruling and the bikes staggered to a halt and the taps ran dry for the last time. Did anyone uh, ever sit on a beer bike? I've never been on a beer bike, I've never been on a beer bike. No. No. Have no, you, Paul? No. 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 Have you ever had a beer on a bike? Do yeah, you? definitely. Yes. Yeah. 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 That I've done. That, yeah. That's, yeah, that's oh, do you more... ban too? No, that's a more authentic Dutch beer bike ah, okay. experience. But yeah. I think that that's banned anyway, because you're not supposed to be drinking and biking. I think that's already illegal. Uh, no, you can drink in public. That's allowed. Yeah, but what about and drinking and operating well, a bike at the same time? As long as you don't time? go over the speed, go over the drink, <laughs> the drink bike limit. Uh, <laughs> or no, go over any drumples uh, on my uh, street. I think you can consume alcohol on a bike. Yeah, there is a you know, separation like... between motorized vehicles and unmotorized vehicles. No, but the, um, the 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 drink drive limits also apply to bikes. The only thing is you don't. Yeah, yeah. The only thing is you don't you lose can... your license. Yeah. But... <laughs> no, but you can drink your beer while you're biking. We can do that as long yeah. as you as stop l- drinking yes, when you exceed when you get the, the, limit, uh, yeah. the limit. So you yeah. want to take a little breathalyzer kit with you as well, <laughs> and just keep keep alternating yeah. between the bottle of beer and the breathalyzer kit. <laughs> yeah, uh, and there are also different rules for ho- riding horses. So, of course, yeah. there are. Yeah, yeah. So I, you probably can drink and ride a horse. 
speaking of questionable motor transportation, a controversy in Germany has led to criticism from the Anne Frank Foundation in Amsterdam. The name of Anne Frank has been put forward in a naming competition for a new high-speed train of the German state-owned firm Deutsche Bahn. In a reaction, the Anne Frank Foundation has stated that even though the name has been chosen as a symbol of tolerance and peaceful coexistence with other cultures, the combination is painful for people who experience deportations in the Second World War. Thousands of Jews, including Anne Frank and her family, were taken to concentration camps by train. So, Paul, I heard that there's a there was another controversy with uh, with Anna Frank's name this week as well, right? That's true. We've seen, for example, uh, people dress up for Anne Frank for Halloween, and also uh, her name is often used in stadium chants uh, and other forms of anti-Semitism among football supporters. Yeah, there was Anna Frank uh, costumes for sale on Amazon for, for Halloween this year. Uh, and the Anne Frank uh, Foundation is uh, warning that these incidents will only become more frequent as Anne Frank is a powerful symbol, but the significance of her will increasingly have a contemporary rather than a historical basis. I think kind of means that uh, the people become less, you become more detached from the actual events around Anne Frank. Yeah, and you, just be, you treat her as a symbol. As a kind of icon, yeah, like, icon like, yeah. like Joan of Arc or, or something. Che Guevara, yeah. Yes. Staying with questionable modes of transport now, Max Verstappen was in a sunnier mood this week after winning the Mexican Grand Prix in emphatic style. A week after being bumped off the podium by a controversial steward's decision, Verstappen profited from a collision between title rivals Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel at the start of the race to charge to the front where he stayed, and that meant he picked up the third win of his career. Hamilton, meanwhile, finished ninth, but that was enough to claim his fourth Formula One championship title, and the British driver later said he expected Verstappen to be his major rival next season. It would be really funny if this same steward would uh, uh, punish Max Verstappen with a one-minute time penalty for <laughs> something he did a year or for, ago. Or for something. Something, that, something the two drivers behind him did. He <laughs> yeah. wasn't involved in at all. Yeah. So, Gordon... Can you update me on how terrible Dutch men's football is? <laughs> yes, Feyenoord continue to be absolutely dreadful. They crashed out of the Champions League uh, in midweek, uh, losing 3-1 in Ukraine to Shakhtar Donetsk. And that meant that they lost their first four group games in a row, which was uh, equaling the record of Willem Twee. Well, Willem <laughs> Twee didn't, didn't, had a slightly better goal difference. And if they lose their next game, uh, they will be officially the worst ever participants in the Champions League group stages from the Netherlands. Um, and that looks quite likely because they're... They're up against Manchester City away. So have they considered starting to recruit uh, people from the hockey field to play on their team? <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, that was Dijkstra. That was, that was, that was Dijkhoff's uh, suggestion, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, the PSV players. PSV, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's pointing out that PSV players don't come from the hockey field, but perhaps they should. Maybe they should. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Roderick the Cat, who lives in an elderly home in Leidsendorp, has been missing for a month when he was found 150 kilometers away in the Belgian town of Muizen, which translates to English, Molly? Mice. Mice. A receptionist of the home uh, said to Omroep West that everyone in the home was devastated after Roderick's disappearance, who walked in seven years ago and stayed ever since. A neighbor in Muizen saw Roderick in her backyard for days when she decided to call a vet who read his chip and located the cat's owner. Her Roderick, uh, how Roderick managed to travel 150 kilometers is unknown, but he probably jumped into a car. According to the receptionist, tears of joy had been shed following Roderick's return. Yes, yeah, so, so, so Roderick went 
to to Mausen, where he's presumably quite happy. Um, was it kind of a bit of a game to try and get him back? Cat to, and yeah, mouse, cat and mouse game, game yeah, yeah, to try and yeah. find him in the yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, is he going anywhere else for his next trip? Uh, I hear flights to Russia are cheap right now. <laughs> yeah, but he, or maybe he can go to a town in the Netherlands called uh, Dauvin. <laughs> that would really put the cat among the. Um, I can't even finish it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very glad that uh, Roderick is home. We will talk about the big debate in Parliament about the new government after these words from our sponsors. Here in Holland is a new podcast for internationals living in the Netherlands. It is a twice-weekly podcast which focuses on the stories of internationals and expats. The podcast covers topics from manners to chance encounters, and they interview the Dutch and non-Dutch alike to get their insights, advice and stories, ranging from the funny to the sad. Here in Holland is currently creating an entirely crowdsourced podcast and welcomes your submissions. You can send your stories via WhatsApp. Find more information on their website, www.hereinholland.com. The podcast is available in iTunes and other podcasting apps. If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. Last week, Mark Rutte's third cabinet was officially installed after seven months of endless negotiations after the March 15th elections. The Tweede Kamer discussed the coalition agreement in a marathon debate of two days, which allowed the nine opposition leaders to give their view on the new government's proposals. The three left-wing parties joined forces in an unprecedented effort to counter the center-right coalition. All Dutch News podcast members watched the 21-hour-long debate, so you didn't have to. We did. Yeah, we did. Oh, okay. Oh, you, oh. No, you didn't I didn't. Do it? Yeah. I did, I did, uh, I did. I watched it. Uh, yeah. I was afraid All we of were it? going to have to fire mm-hmm. you. No. Yeah. Wait, you'll fire me? I didn't watch the debate. <laughs> Not a lick of it. What yeah. debate? What's a debate? <laughs> What's the debate of government? What's, What's the a government? Tr- What's yeah. a government? Yeah. Who is my answer? <laughs> Seven months negotiations? Yeah. What, are you what is about? this? There were elections? Yeah. <laughs> As a parliament? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, what did we think? What was our first impression? Yeah, what do we think? I, I thought it was kind of curious um, to see how the whole government have to line up in a. It likes it's like sort of class at school or something, isn't it? It's all. Yeah. Mark Ritter sits at the front or stands at the lectern. And he does a little talking. They just sort of sit there quietly. It was the, the largest bus. cabinet in five decades, I think, mm. and they didn't have enough seats for yeah. all the ministers, <laughs> yeah. so they had to drag some seats from the from the from the basement, and uh, yeah, so, some mm. of them had to sit on broken scales. seats. Yeah. 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 There were some good zingers. I was impressed with the quality of the zingers, uh, particularly uh, Dykeshoff. And uh, I liked uh, some of the things yeah. Klaver had, to, had, to, had some clapbacks. Yeah, had, so Klaus Dykeshoff is uh, now the uh, parliamentary leader of the Faith Day party. Yeah, yeah and It was his first debate yeah. and, yeah. and already this big debate, but he managed quite well. Yeah, he managed quite well, yeah. I thought. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he had a good uh, comeback to uh, Thierry Baudet one time. Yeah, oh, twice really? I think, one or two times. Twice, three yeah, times. he was pretty good. Yeah. He handled Thierry Baudet pretty well. Um, yeah, Thierry Baudet accused him of uh, uh, running a cartel, right? Yeah, running yeah. a cartel, mm-hmm. and then um, Dykov replied. No, no. Uh, Terry Baudet, you know, he has this thing where he goes on and on about how, par- you know, politicians are all part of these cartels yeah. and blah, 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 blah. And so he asked Dykoff to comment on the cartels. And Dykoff said, I can't comment on something that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. a good clap. Back. Yeah. yeah. And then Baudet uh, called him arrogant. And um, Dykoff retorted, uh, oh, I'm being called, uh, being called arrogant by um, Terry Baudet. I must be doing well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty impressive, I thought. Yeah, so different. who do you think did, did well and who do you think did uh, showed poorly? I think Lodewijk. Like Usher did really well. I agree with that. Uh, until last week, Lodewijk Usher was, you know, a member of the cabinet, yeah. and he was also an opposition leader 
so he had to juggle uh, these two roles. Right. But uh, yeah, as I said, uh, the, the three left-wing parties, the SP, GroenLinks and PvdA, they joined forces together and they discussed their strategy and how to um, uh, react to the new government's um, uh, uh, proposals. Um, and you could clearly see that they discussed this because they, they all... Yeah, they're working as a team and there were moments when they actually all lined up together at the because um, there's, there's this thing for people who aren't familiar with Parliament called the interruption microphone where you actually, you actually have to go up to the uh, to the desk and uh, if you want to make a comment in the middle of uh, someone else's speech and they all lined up together and they and side by side yeah. sort of presented themselves as a unit. So yeah, that was quite good... Uh, yeah, organization by them and Asher did a really smart thing I think where he uh, he, he had a motion usually motions are taken at the end of the debate and but he wanted to have a motion to um, stop uh, 100,000 euros of cuts to community nursing care so he put this motion in at the start of the debate and they had to have a debate about whether they'd accept the motion and they did now I mean over the course of the debate he kind of gathered really the whole opposition around him behind him on this measure and at the end Rutte uh, conceded on it and he said yes we won't make these cuts and that was the only actual concession that the opposition got during the debate. So that was a really good that bit was of... really uh, smart. Yeah. yeah. And Lodewijk Usher is really becoming the leader of the left-wing politicians, even though he is the leader of the smallest party. Yeah. He mm. has the least experience in, in Parliament, uh, but still he, he, he is becoming the, the, the leader of the opposition. So that's really impressive, actually. But in other ways, it, the opposition was kind of um, uh, quite quite divided, wasn't it? Because you had, you had the three left-wing parties who were quite strong as a bloc, but they had nothing really in common with, say, Kit Wilders, who's actually the leader of the largest opposition party, so he's nominally opposition leader. Wilders yeah. was kind of playing his own game almost. I mean, he was banging on about immigration as usual. Yeah. And not really. And I thought Wilders didn't, it wasn't, you know, one of his poorest performances in Parliament, because whatever you think of his views, he's a very experienced parliamentary performer. Yeah. But he didn't really turn, go up to... And the, very skilled. Yeah. And very skilled and usually quite quite sharp and, yeah, good good with his one-liners. But, but he didn't really go up to the, um, to the microphone. He didn't really engage in the actual substance of the debate. He just kept coming back to Islam, which nobody else was talking about, apart from occasionally Thierry Baudet. In the first Day, in the first day, all the opposition, uh, all the party leaders, they uh, they do their speech and then the other parties will react to that. And on the second day, Mark Rutte will respond to that. But in the first day, uh, Geert Wilders gave the first speech because he's the largest opposition party. But after that, he didn't go to the interruption microphone microphone once. He just stayed there. He sat in his seat and didn't do anything. Mm. Um, Geert Wilders, uh, in his speech, he made a point about the new... Uh, Deputy Prime Minister Olongen, who is the uh, Interior Minister, about her having uh, two nationalities. She has a Dutch passport and also a Swedish passport. Oh. And for some reason, uh, he, he, he thought that was a problem. Well, he said at the start of the debate, didn't he, he didn't want dual nationality. I mean, that's one of the issues that Wilders uh, is constantly hammered uh, um, on about. He also doesn't like the fact that, say, Kadir Arib, who is the ch- chairwoman of parliament, uh, has, a, has a Moroccan passport as well. And he, and, he, and he said he was going to put in a motion of no confidence against all the um, um, cabinet ministers with dual nationality. But then he forgot about Barbara Fisser, who has a Croatian passport. Right. So Rutte sort of came back to, yeah, to call him out on that. He said, what about her? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What about her? Well, why aren't you um, expressing no confidence in her. And in the first cabinet of uh, Mark Rutte, there was also uh, a minister with a dual nationality, also a Swedish nationality, and he didn't have a problem with that. So yeah. that's because he was supporting the cabinet at that time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So new coalition, new views, new rules. Yeah. And also Thierry Baudet uh, talked about uh, the dual nationality, about you no know, 
the appearance of uh, having multiple loyalties to uh, several countries. He was trying to say that you have a you have divided loyalties because you also have a loyalty to a foreign power. But he didn't really explain how you know how if you know is the king of Sweden like sort of sending tweets to Olukun during debates so that she inf- to influence Dutch uh, policy. I don't see the point that he was making. Yeah, uh, well, Thierry Boudet wanted to have a motion or a new law that you can only have one nationality when you are a minister. But he said he didn't want that for MPs, even though the parliament is the highest body in the in the in mm-hmm. in, in in the Netherlands. Right. So yeah. So he got a lesson in constitution by yes. the prime minister. Yeah, of course. The, I think this this insane debate about dual nationality. So in in the U.S., when JFK was running, when when Kennedy was running, there was this whole discussion about how because he was a Catholic that he was going to have loyalties to the to the Vatican and and not to the U.S. And at the time it was very heated, and now it's sort of seen as this like totally absurd thing that yeah. like I remember when they were teaching it. In high school they really had to like give a lot of context because mm-hmm. everyone was like who who cares like no one has these sorts of I mean I'm sure some people do but sort of the the idea that like Catholics are somehow like not equal citizens has just you know we've just sort of totally moved past this and I think that that this is a bit the same like the world as it becomes more and more globalized like this idea of nationality as this like single thing that you have is a thing that just doesn't really exist in the same way I mean so many people are born to parents with with two separate uh, who you know who come from two separate nationalities or like live in countries I mean you know I spent yesterday evening as we discussed at the top of the podcast at a neighborhood meeting to discuss whether or not they're going to put goddamn street speed bumps in the front of my street, which is like a serious investment in, in, you know, being integrated and being part of the community here. But like, that doesn't make me any less American. Like. Yeah. And, and you didn't have, you didn't say your divided loyalty didn't mean that you were some, somehow uh, trying to put some kind of American agenda into the, um, you know, into the organization, the arrangement of speed bumps in the streets in Delft, or perhaps it, it, it I, I mean, I, I think it did in the sense that like, you you, I just sort of wanted there to be less democracy. <laughs> <laughs> less oh, that's a very in. anti-American. <laughs> right. <laughs> Usually like, you bring in democracy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and by force. I wanted yeah, to bring force. in democracy by force, <laughs> by which I meant take over the whole meeting, just make a decision yeah. and have it get done. Yeah, and actually just invade Delft and then, right. then, then t- 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 rip, rip the whole street apart and then just leave it. That would have yeah. been, yeah, that would have been yeah. fine with me. But, I, you know, I think just as a person that's lived here for so long, like you can sort of feel a kinship both with you know the country that you are that you were born in or that your parents are from and also like the country that you have sort of adopted as your own and I just I find this like discussion about dual nationality just so disingenuous yeah, it's a totally fake debate I, I tend yeah. to agree that the idea that you have some kind of split loyalties or divided loyalties or that somehow they're not compatible with each other because you've got an allegiance or an affinity to another country I, I just don't buy it I mean yeah. if Alongan has lived in Sweden for her entire life for 50 years and she lives here in the Netherlands for one week and then becomes a, a new minister okay then he has a yeah, point and that she, wouldn't be possible anyway no so. but she has been the uh, deputy mayor of Amsterdam and she has worked and lived in the Netherlands you know her entire life so yeah how can you think she has yeah some, I mean, yeah, and the, another loyalty the same with Visser right like I mean she was born in Croatia but moved here when she was three I mean mm-hmm. like you know and and also I think that this this also sort of ignores the the legal and financial complications of dealing with citizenship right so I mean for an American it's really difficult to give up your passport it's a very expensive process as a Moroccan you're not even allowed you're not allowed mm-hmm. and this is the same for other places you know Iran you're not allowed to give up your passport and these sorts of things and so it sort of just ignores this fact that like you know government's issue 
issue these weird rules about what you can and cannot do with your nationality. You know, like there, there's also this complicating factor where like, okay, you, you want to be able to travel, you know, without having to get a visa mm. to go visit your mom, like in the, this kinds of stuff, which you can't do if you don't hold the passport of your own country in a lot of places. And it's just, just this absurd antiquated notion. And like, I wish that they would talk about literally anything else. Yeah. And I find it a bit, just a bit of an anomalous situation as well, because in the, the implication of you know, what the Baudet and Builders say is that somehow you know, if you have two nationalities, two allegiances, they, they instinctively conflict. So there's a kind of, there's an assumption that, the, that, that, that there's a kind of fundamental, you know, that, that, that two countries can never you know, work in harmony together, which is the complete opposite of how the Dutch have approached international affairs right. for the last you know, three centuries. So it's a very un-Dutch attitude, I think, apart yeah. from anything else. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the Netherlands and Sweden has so little in common that people don't <laughs> constantly mistake these countries for each other. And uh, another topic uh, that was debated was the uh, taxes for multinational companies. Yeah. So yeah. Rutte had this, uh, this, there was this great quote from Rutte where he was like, yeah, my, my, my friends or whatever he said at multinational companies. And then someone, I don't remember who it was, was like, can you tell, we want a list of all these people that you've been talking to who want the taxes reduced and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, Rutte's point was that companies would leave or not come to the Netherlands um, if, if the dividend, particularly if the tax on dividends was right. was retained. And um, people asked him to produce evidence for this and he didn't, basically. Yeah. And, and no well, he said, that. I talked to this guy that one time, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what he said. And... Um, you know, he has a point. Germany is lowering their company taxes. France as well. Uh, companies are fleeing uh, the UK because of Why Brexit. Why would that be? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it makes sense to make your country more attractive to companies and to come to, to your country or at least stay in, in, in the Netherlands. But he didn't have any evidence for that. Not from the CPB, not from the uh, CBS. The only evidence he provided was, well, I, I heard this, this from from uh, multinational uh, yeah. uh, board yeah. members. So yeah. that wasn't very convincing. And uh, another point is that uh, this dividend uh, uh, tax reduction hasn't been in any party manifesto whatsoever. So it, it feels like this comes from, from nothing, this falls from the air. Yeah. And or if it comes from outside, yeah, and, and it comes from, say, the, the business community. So, uh, which was saying that it, it, it was an issue that emerged during at the negotiation table, wasn't it? Because obviously they had organisations, trade unions, you know, um, corporate corporate groups uh, came to talk to the negotiators and uh, Rutter said it emerged from that. that yeah, and there was only one party from. that said this was a good idea or, you know, had a feeling that this is something that they should do. So the, the, the left wing well, block um, really uh, was really talking about this and really every time they brought this issue forward and uh, they they never had a they never let a uh, 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 opportunity slip to not talk about this. Yeah and I think it was a, a bit unfortunate because Ruta, like you said I mean it wasn't part of any of the party platforms and I don't think he did a very good job sort of laying the groundwork with regards to this that it makes it clear that like you know the Netherlands has something really to offer companies that are leaving the UK right like there's more English spoken here than there is in Germany and France the, this, the standard of living is a bit higher here. There's some other advantage tax situations. I mean, the, the 30% ruling, mm. for example, which they have to some degree in Germany and France, but is less generous. You and know, it's geographically close by, it's and ge there's good infrastructure, There's education, excellent infrastructure, yeah, yeah, and excellent education, and all of these things that make it very attractive for these companies to come here. So I, I understand the instinct, but I thought Ritza did a bad job sort of selling it. Selling yeah. it. Mm. I think there is a trade-off, because they are going to tackle the Briefe bus firmas, mm. the, uh, how would you call that in English? Letterbox firms. The letterbox yeah. firms. They are going to tackle that, which is a wish from D66 and uh, the Christian Union. And I think in exchange to that, uh, uh, the day you know, wanted to lower this uh, dividend tax. 
uh, I think that's that's basically what happened, and they're now trying to yeah. sell it, but they're not doing a really good job. Yeah. No, I mean, the consensus in the media this morning seemed to be that Rutte had a fairly easy ride during the debate. Uh, yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I so. definitely agree. Yeah. And I, I'm also quite surprised because you know this coalition only has one uh, seat majority in both houses, so they have to you know reach out to the opposition, mm. and they only have the opposition only managed to. Uh, put forward one issue. Success, only yeah. to have one successful motion. Yes, but suppose you have you have an opposition that is quite quite united on some issues, like for example healthcare and yeah, the community nursing, where they all lined up together. But on other issues, they're completely divided, and I think the cabinet will be able to play them off against each other. So on things like immigration, you know, Khun Links has a completely different view to the PFFA. So those two parties aren't going to agree. So therefore, you know, either one is uh, is is probably not going to back an opposition motion. I did think that there were some interesting concessions of sort of like weird slightly irrelevant but sort of annoying laws to the uh to the sort of right-wing uh, uh christian parties right that they left the zondag rust this thing is going to be back on the table right the abilities of of Khamenez to say that you can't hold events and and have stuff be open on uh sunday yeah there was also this thing about mm. uh abortion oh and uh a divorce without uh without a, a judge right that this was like a, a thing it's that a they were trying to put forward yeah. and they that has been removed which is all kinds of concessions to the to the SGP, which is fairly minor for the most part but also is i think a clear indication that this you know, coalition is trying to find ways that they mm. can sort of give things to some of these opposition parties in exchange for giving them some support on stuff where they're going to have a harder time doing it. Yeah, I think Rutter and Sagers both made that point during the debate, didn't they? So they, they were trying to uh, get uh, broad support for as much of their policies as possible. And, and things like, you know, the green energy plan, again, is I think the cool links in principle, you know, will we'll probably support a lot of, although Claver was critical about some of the detail and whether the targets are really achievable. So who do we think, so we said Rutter had a good night or an easy night who do we think had a had a not good night builders yeah, other than builders builders did very bad and yeah but they didn't really um mm. it wasn't as convincing as perhaps yeah. so you might have expected him to be i also was not particularly impressed by yasa claver's performance i thought that um i thought he had some good response he had sort of an interaction with uh with uh builders about again like dual nationality or, or or being sort of yeah attached to another nationality um but beyond that i wasn't particularly uh impressed by his performance i didn't think that he did as good of a job sort of selling this left-wing coalition block maybe it was a bit in the shadow of a uh, Lodovic Asher who yeah. like we said did a really good job but I, I wasn't particularly sold by what he was saying yeah and in the same vein I think Ruma didn't really uh, uh, show up much uh, no yeah either. even though Ruma is you know the party leader for how many years now yeah six yeah. seven years yeah he he isn't a very convincing leader and uh, uh, we've seen in 2010 for example that he was really high in the polls and everyone thought he's going to be the next prime minister <laughs> and then someone asked him a question about a policy and didn't have a very good answer to that um, he keeps that uh, image uh, and he still has that so he, he, he isn't a yeah, convincing leader <laughs> and that's why I'm surprised by Lodewijk Asher's Leadership yeah, no, and Asa kind of took over the whole. You know, obviously, the healthcare has been was a big issue for the socialists during the election, has been for several years. But really, Asa kind of took the stole the lead on that. I think yeah. by having this community and there was no mention of these sort funds whatsoever. Exactly, from, yeah. Uh, from, yeah, which was yeah, yeah, and yet the cost of healthcare is still a big issue uh, among voters. Yeah, and yet Rumo didn't really uh, t- tap into that at all. Rumo being the leader of the Socialist Party for the listeners, in case they didn't catch that. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, yeah, and Cherry Boudet wasn't very outstanding as well. Yeah. Um, it was a pretty bland, I think, in some ways, other than the fact that it was like a marathon debate. Hmm. 
You would have thought, I suppose, or you might have thought that with, with a you know seventy six seventy four split, you, right. that there was a much even much more kind of you know, confrontational adversarial tone to it, and it wasn't really at all yeah. because the government was saying you know we're going to try and get support from opposition parties, and a lot of its issues, at least one or two opposition parties said yeah we'll give you that support. The SKP as well, you know the kind of small fundamentalist uh, Christian uh, party you might say, um, they've, they've said you know that they'll support a lot of the uh, platforms. They tend to vote in step with the uh, Christian Union a lot of the time, obviously. The Christian Union are in the government, so that's uh, on a lot of issues. I think that's you know, almost sort of two, three extra seats uh, for the cabinet. Um, what about the other uh, uh, party leaders in the the coalition? How do we think uh, Pechtold was, and how do we think? Did we talk? We didn't talk. We, Buma. 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 Yeah, I was yeah, going to say. Pechtold yeah. is, is always a really strong debater, and I think he did pretty well. Yeah. Again, mm. um, you know, he he didn't had a very hard time um, for Buma as well. Yeah. So I think they did. Very decent, well. yeah, yeah. Well. And that's part of the reason I think the Rut came out of it very well was that two of the strongest performances on the opposition um, benches in the last parliament are now in the cabinet, and therefore they're not opposing him anymore. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so yeah, so the opposition's got to re- redefine its identity, find new kind of leaders uh, in in the parliamentary arena. So I think uh, three of the best uh, speakers were Dijkhoff, Buma and Pertold, uh, uh, they mm-hmm. are, of course, in favor of the coalition. And the other one was uh, Lodewijk Usher. But I don't, I, I don't think Usher was able to counter these three excellent speakers. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, yeah. Mm. So good job for the coalition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I suppose the, the, the positive for the opposition was that the three left-wing parties were more united than they tend to be. So perhaps that will be... Um, yeah, they are more united, but yeah. still they don't have... They don't have very many seats, yeah. no. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to our channel and rate this podcast. This will help new listeners find us. And please share the podcast with your own network. My thanks to Gordon Derek and Molly Quell. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week.